It's another episode of The Point After, episode 37, National Championship Previews, Picks, and Predictions. Cody, the weekend is finally here. Cannot believe it. As you can look over to my right shoulder, this notepad was at zero before the season. And now where it's at, it's kind of crazy to see. We're already through the season. Um, but we're finally about that time of the year. We're about to hand out some hardware. We're going to preview, obviously, Michigan, Washington. But we're also going to preview Montana, South Dakota State. That game will be on Sunday. Mon Michigan and Washington will be on Monday. But, Cody, how are you doing on this fine Friday? We get to preview the national championship, brother. Bittersweet, as it has been a great college football season, great college football weekend last week. But we're about to crown a champion, my friend. That we are. All I can say is, is what a great season. Um, it has been super fun to watch. Uh, one of the things that you said during our prep, which is pretty awesome, is that we were actually been able to see both of these teams live. Um, you being able to go to the game to watch Michigan, Ohio State, me obviously being able to go to a couple of University of Washington games, going to the University of Washington, Oregon game. Um, so we we're both able to kind of go to their major rivalry games this year and kind of see them in those heightened environment so it's going to be really fun to kind of watch these two titans kind of go at it this weekend and on the other side of it alma mater is playing in the fcs championship that's pretty freaking cool uh montana obviously you know being there from 2018 to 2022 now seeing them two years after i've left uh to be in the national championship and we'll get into it in our preview episode but some of those six-year senior guys some of the, the founding stones um that are on this team that i was with as freshmen, they always say, like, you know, the four years is going to be the fastest four years ever. That class has been there for six years, and it's felt like a long six years. I can't even imagine still being there, going through the winter condo, the fall camp, the spring ball. Like, <laughs> could you imagine six of them, Cody? Six fall camp, spring balls, and winter condo? I couldn't. Winter conditioning. No, thank you. What was your What was your least favorite? What was your What was your most favorite out of those? Um, If I'm being honest, like, I liked, I kind of liked winter conditioning. And I think the reason why was because like, I was able to see kind of like my progression mm. a little bit more when yeah. you're, when you're game planning every week and you're, or if you're like not part of the game plan as like a red shirt, it can kind of feel like what's the point of me even being here type shit. So yeah, um, winter conditioning felt very much like everyone actually had the opportunity to work together as a team. Um, I mean, I was really big on like the social aspect of like being a part of a unit and part of a team. So it was like really cool to kind of be um, in that like environment of guys working together, striving together, working hard in the weight room. Um, we had a really good strength coach, uh, Leggy Suyanoa, big fan of his. Um, he's actually at Oregon State now. So um, as one of their defensive assistants um, down there. So um, good times in college, but yeah, winter conditioning was always kind of like my favorite thing. Yeah. I, I liked winter conditioning was kind of tough at first, but then when you get adapted, depending on the rotation and those who know mat drills, when you hear the words mat drills, you're like, Oh no flashbacks. Like <laughs> just depending yeah. on what group you were at when I was a freshman, yeah. I stuck with other freshmen that were terrible at it. And we had to go over and over again, but when, when you establish that repertoire, I guess, you get to be with those upperclassmen, smooth sailing. I agree with you, Winter Condo. I think the worst part for at least Montana for me was spring ball because you got nothing to look forward to. I think fall camp, the days are very long, like like 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. for 28 straight days. But you did look forward to playing that game and you know building the team and building those new relationships. So I agree with you 100%, Cody. But um, enough of us talking about our, our glory days. Let's talk about the, the current days. Let's start with the CFP National Championship. 
one Michigan versus two Washington, 14 and 0, both each. The Big Ten champ versus the last Pac 12 champ. These teams will actually be playing each other in the Big Ten next year, which is crazy enough to think about that. If you're a Big Ten representative, Big Ten conference, you're smiling from ear to ear. Right now, Michigan opens up as a four and a half point favorite. The over under is at 56 and a half. This will be played in Houston. Before we get into the keys to each side, I think we kind of should take a step back and, and just reevaluate what we will take away from both teams, regardless of the outcome. So let's start out with Washington. You obviously being at two games of Washington. What will this Washington team, 14-0, regardless of what happens, this 2023 Washington team will be remembered for? What will be what will the biggest thing that people can take away from this Washington team? I think the biggest thing that they're going to take away from this Washington team is just how dynamic their offense was and how truly special Michael Penix was in his two years at University of Washington. Um, 11 and two last year in 2022, 2023, 2023, 24, come back. Now you're 14-0 playing for the national championship. And all because Coach Kalen DeBoer came in, he installed his systems, he installed his culture, um, and it's been super special to watch. I mean, I think at the end of the day, there's – there's so many, you know, hyperbolic statements that you can make about, oh, they're so dynamic. They're so like, I think ultimately it just comes down to how like they're great. They are great in every single way throwing the football. They protect the passer well. Michael Penix gets it out on time and on target. And it's interesting because kind of midway through the season, Michael Penix was having some rough, ga- rough games. And, uh, I like three for four or five weeks. People are like, Oh, Michael Penix. I don't know. Michael Penix. I don't know. And even with those games where he threw for like 200 yards here, 190 yards here, guess who's still leading the country in passing yards and is about to blow it out of the water. Now I know he gets to play an extra game than most people, but he's already leading by, I want to say like 300 yards or something like that. And now he's going to blow that out of the water supposedly in this game. Mm. And so it's like, and I think they said in the last, in the last like fifteen years, there's only been two quarterbacks that have thrown for forty five hundred yards in back to back years. It's him and uh, Patrick Mahomes. Um, and then it, when you go to the receivers, like the receiver, like I think we can all agree that Romeo Dunze probably could have won the could have won the Bolitnikov. I think this is a year of the receiver. There were so many candidates that were deserving and could have won it. Um, I think that Romeo Dunze absolutely. Um, is one of those guys who, like, if he would have won it, there wouldn't have been people complaining about it. Um, I think, obviously, Jalen McMillan, Jalen Polk, um, even Devin Culp, um, Jack Westover. uh, Goodness, I mean, Giles Jackson. There's just so many weapons for Washington in the passing game that um, I know that uh, Joel Klatt was kind of talking about this, but, like, just the comparisons with the University of Washington to the 2019 LSU offense, I realized they were historically good and they kind of like all the things that Washington does now, they do a little bit better. But like when you look at it, their defense wasn't historically great, which we can all agree Washington's isn't. But then you, that just means how dynamic and amazing their offense, more specifically their passing offense has been all season. I mean, two receivers over a thousand yards, um, between Romeo Dunze and I think Jalen Polk. Um, and then obviously Jalen McMillan, he showed up and showed out in the college football playoff semifinal um, against uh, Texas. And so it's just, 
it's just interesting to see how now all these teams are now finally getting healthy. And I think Washington at their best um, is going to be fun to watch. And so I think they're going to just be remembered for, um, you know, being that one of, if not like, you know, one of the top two or three passing offenses maybe ever in the history of college football. I think it's cool to see, too, as they transition to the Big Ten, you wondered how Washington is going to adapt with the new recruiting and the NIL and stuff like that. But to bring more talent to the West Coast, to the North Pacific Northwest, you live there, too, I think is something that definitely a big takeaway. The stories that we hear about Kalen DeBoer is all this guy does is win. He's never been to a national championship at this level, but his past previ- previous experience, I think, gives him an edge over a guy like Harbaugh, who hasn't really been in a championship game ever. I mean, he played in the Super Bowl back, you know, with the 49ers against his brother. But still, um, I think that's something you take away is how dynamic Kalen DeBoer is. And you're starting to see a rising star in the coaching profession for him. On Michigan side of things, I think it's the adversity they face. I mean, everything, the outside noise, you know, J.J. McCarthy, whatever, Blake Corum coming back from ACL. And you talked about it last episode, their defense, there's not really a dynamic top five pick or top 10 first round pick on this defense. But it's just a bunch of guys that have all collectively played well together. All these dudes played last year, came back for another year, and it's starting to come out there, starting to come to fruition. But look, this Michigan team, man, it's going to be tough. We're about to get into this preview in just a second, but I think the biggest thing you, you see in the background, Michigan versus everybody, all they do is win. All they do is prove the naysayers wrong. Naysayers. That that clip with Reese Davis and Pat McAfee was hilarious. <laughs> Let a naysayer know. That was so funny. But – I mean, both these teams have fought adversity, both 14 and 0. Um, I, I want to, last episode, we kind of went, you know, offense versus defense on both sides, but I think we both agree we want to go keys to the game for each team, kind of give our X factor, our players to watch for each, and then we'll have our predictions at the end. But um, let's start out with Washington. Two Washington, the underdog. We got to start with Michael Penix Jr. How do you see him against this Michigan defense? You're the QB guru. Let's start out with him, and then we'll get into our keys for this Washington team. I think Washington is going to need to early in the game establish the quick passing game. And so what that means is uh, they like to go in trips a lot. They'll have all three of their receivers on one side of the field um, and they'll throw little quick screens and things like that just to get the ball out of Michael Penix's hands and slow down that pass rush, that dynamic pass rush of Michigan. Um, I think if you want to, if they try and do straight dropbacks early in the game when Michigan is fired up um, and, and, is fresh. Um, I think that that is going to play into the hands of Michigan um, because I think Michigan is going to do a really, really good job of kind of sucking the air out of the football and really running the ball a lot. And so I think Washington needs to make sure that they have, I don't want to say ball control drives, but like, you know, eight to 10 play drives where they don't huddle and they just go up on the line of scrimmage and they go quick enough to where Michigan can't substitute keep those defensive linemen and those front seven guys on the field, make them go side to side as opposed to being able to pin their ears back and come up field. And I think that'll do a a good job in kind of stymieing that dynamic pass rush from Michigan. So I think as long as Washington can kind of come out early in this football game and move the ball side to side, bubble screens, now screens, um, maybe just little hitch routes, um, just really quick getting the ball out of Penix's hands, if they can get that dynamic pass rush in Michigan to slow down a little bit, now and then as that secondary starts to come up, now they can start taking their deeper shots and getting those crosser routes um, to Jalen McMillan, Jalen Polk, and Romain Dunbe. 
I like that a lot. I think it's something too. Michigan's DBs get them going early, get them going horizontal, like you mentioned, and then the vertical threat of the play action. Something to mention. Hopefully, Dylan Johnson. He's expected to play. He's even on a bunch of medicine, a bunch of wraps, cast boots, whatever. Um, he's huge. I mean, a thousand yard rusher to have on such a dynamic passing offense to balance it. I think it's going to be big. Now, I'm not saying he needs to go out 150 yards rushing. That'd be great. That'd be helpful, as we saw that against Oregon. But he can at least get 80 to 100 yards and threaten the run up the middle, make guys like Junior Colson and Mike Barrett in the linebacker position kind of think twice. Maybe it'll open up the play action on the outside. But my biggest, my biggest key for Washington, after what you saw from Michigan in the two-month punts, I think field position and big hang time from the punter is going to be big for Washington. I think get Michael Penix going. It's something about, you know, we talk about Steph Curry and his three-point shot. When he gets going three three-pointers in a row, it's tough to get him out of it. We saw him in the third quarter. I think he was like 11 for 11 or 12 for 12 at one point against Texas. The quick throws, but I also think some deep throws as well to Polk, to McMillan, to Romeo Dunze. Roma Dunze. Like, the offensive scheme is not, not the biggest issue there for me. My my biggest thing for Washington, though, is going to be those fourth downs because you know they're going to want to go for it on fourth and two, fourth and one. Kalen DeBoer is aggressive. Jim Harbaugh is aggressive. But how aggressive? And then without Dylan Johnson, I think they've got to be able to Cody on fourth downs to trust Roma Dunze, to trust those guys on the outside. If they can't get a running game going, and you talked about it before, the like the passing record or attempts record, I think in bowl game you said it was 94. Could yeah. we see that with this offense, especially oh. if, if Dylan Johnson's banged up? You look at their rushing yards, it's a thousand yards for him, and the next guy's like 184 yards. So Dylan Johnson carries the load there. Could we see 94 passing attempts for Mr. Michael Penix Jr.? Uh, not if Washington wants to win. Uh, but um, one thing that I think that they need to do, and we actually saw Washington do this in the semifinal against Texas, involve Michael Penix in the run game. They started Ooh. to do some kind of like midline zone reads where he was taking the ball up the middle, some quarterback draws. He did a really good job of not only making those dynamic plays in the run game, but also sliding to avoid any big hits. I think if Michael Penix can get to that like 40, maybe even 50 yards rushing, um, I think to go along with maybe 300, 350 yards passing, um, I think Washington might be in a really good position now. Sanders still sitting in the secondary. Does he become a quarterback spy? Does he come down and blitz? Does he play in the slot? Does he play nickel? Does he play safety? Um, it'll be interesting to kind of see that chess match. Um, but I think for Washington, really, there is no room for error. Joe Clatt talked about it really a lot today earlier as well. Um, just there is no room for error for Washington. Michael Penix is going to have to get hot, similar to, like you said, Steph Curry. Um, and they're going to have to score on every single drive because Michigan, the way that they run the football, the way they play defense, uh, the way that J.J. McCarthy can stretch the field with uh, Roman Wilson, um, I think it's going to be something that you need to be careful with, especially, I mean, Colston Loveland, another guy um, in the passing game that can be dynamic down the field, down the seam as a tight end against those Washington safeties, another matchup that you might want to, you know, highlight in this game. But, mm. yeah, for Washington, I think, like I said, Michael Penix, Get hot, stay hot, use your legs, um, defensively bend but don't break. If they can force Michigan to some field goals, if they can force Michigan to some field goals and kind of keep within striking distance of uh, Michigan, I think that if Washington can get into that fourth quarter tied or let's say obviously up, but if they're tied or maybe down six um, and that, I mean, we've seen it. 
Every single game that they play, every single close game, Washington's defense comes up with a big stop, a big turnover. Michael Penix with the ball late. I trust him with those receivers. So um, just if Washington can get to the fourth quarter and it's close, I think they'll be in a good position. And for Michigan, I mean, their field goal kicker has been kind of iffy recently. I mean, he's 86, 84% field goal percentage. That's not the greatest. So again, if you get a field goal position, there's a chance he misses it and you got good field position to start out with. Um, Defensively for Washington, look, I think Braylon Trice has got to have another big game. I think he's their only guy that can get to the quarterback and make some kind of threat up the middle in the interior. I expect, you know, Michigan to kind of have a double team with their, with their, you know, center and their guard. But other than that, I don't think they're gonna be able to get pressure on him. We saw Alabama last week, zero sacks. This Michigan offensive line. You look at Washington, obviously the Joe Moore Award, close second Michigan's offensive line without Zach Zinner. So I think he's gotta be good. I think the linebackers gotta be sound and not really get confused with the pre-shifts, the pre-snap movements, the you know, the different formations and stuff like that. Just stick to your keys um and, and be sound like they were against Texas. I mean, the running game obviously early got him, but in the second half, the running game started to slow down, the passing game on the outside, but a guy that they need healthy is Muhammad. I saw he got injured late in the game. That's probably their best corner. Um, yes. Those one-on-one matchups on the outside, they're going to do play action. Michigan's going to do it. Roman Wilson's been balling recently, so look out for that too. But um, I agree with you. Again, Washington's been there. We always talk about things they need to do. Just play Washington football at the end of the day. Get yes. Penix going. Get the pass game going. It's probably going to be, would you say, depending on how the game goes, would you say 70% pass, 30% run? Like, how do you see their play distribution from Ryan Grubb? You know, it depends on the health of Dylan Johnson, but I think Ryan Grubb is going to do a lot of misdirection, uh, screens, kind of like I was saying earlier, like just get the ball out quick and have that be an extension of the run game. Allow Michael Penix to use his legs a little bit in the run game as well. Um, Please stay Ryan Grubb. This is my one request. If it's fourth and one, do not go wildcat. Please. Don't go seven yards in the backfield against a defense and front seven that is known for penetration. So all I know is, is if you go, if it's fourth and one and we see him in wildcat, I'm just going to start pointing Michigan's way and assume that they're going to get the ball. I agree with you. 100%. I think that's the biggest thing. And then on the other side, when they do those screens, when they throw those screens on the outside, the wide receiver blocking and those tackles got to get out quick because those safeties, the closing speed, which I'm going to get in to Michigan side of things, got to be the fastest group of safeties that I've seen in college football. Who's an X-factor player for you for Washington? For me, I think it's actually going to be the tight end, Jack Westover. Now, he didn't have much involvement during the season last week. Six catches, 59 yards against Texas. I think that's a dude on third down. If they are locked up on the outside somehow, or if they do, you know, go zone on the on the outside and have more DBs playing the McMillans, playing the Polks, playing the Odunzes, leads a wide open for Westover. And this guy can get hot in the middle. It only leaves one-on-one outside opportunities for Odunze, for McMillan, and for Polk. So my, my X Factor player, Cody, for this game is Jack Westover. Love the pick. Jack Westover has made some big catches. Maybe none bigger than his fourth down catch against Oregon to kind of keep a drive alive uh, for mm. UW in the regular season meeting between the Ducks and the Huskies. Um, but I would have to say I think that's a great pick for me. I'm gonna go with a whole. I'm gonna go with Washington's front seven. Washington's front seven. Are they gonna be able to hold up, or is Michigan gonna be able to run the ball thirty straight times like they did against Penn State? Mm. 
I think Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards could get 50 carries. They could get 50 carries between the two of them in this game, depending on how Washington's front seven does. If Washington's front seven, especially if Harbaugh tries to throw the ball early and like try and get J.J. McCarthy off early, um, I think if they can force a couple three and outs and like put a little bit of game pressure on Michigan, I think that that would like it'll be because that front seven is bowed up early. Because if Washington can play from the front, play from in front, I think that bodes well. And I think that's one of the reasons why some of their defensive stats have been skewed is because they've played in front from in front against a lot of teams. Mm. So then they start backing up and be like, oh, okay, you want to take that 15-yard comeback? Cool. You want to take that 15-yard dig? Cool. We're up by 40. I don't, we don't care. So I think that's where some of their defensive stats got a little skewed this year, and they've kind of shown down the stretch that when they needed to, they could get the stop necessary. So um, that's just my thoughts. And in a game like this, fun fact, neither team has trailed by seven or more this season. It could change. Wow. It could be the same. It could remain a one-possession game. That's where I think Washington would benefit more. If they can somehow create a turnover and sudden mm-hmm. change happens, they're up three or it's a tie ball game and kind of make it change where now they've got a possession over Michigan, that's going to be huge. Now let's go to Michigan keys to the game. And I talk about possessions for a reason because um, we saw last week against Alabama something different about Michigan. And you don't really see this much in college football now because of this whole sign-stealing thing or whatever, but their offense went more huddle. I thought that was interesting against Bama's defense, which made it really tough for Bama's defense to call plays, made their linebackers tough to adjust on formations, call out audibles, call out, you know, uh, strength sides and all that kind of stuff like that because the pre-snap shifts, the pre-snap movements came in quick. Right after they sit on formation, shifts, movements, hike, ready, set, go. So I think Washington's got to be ready for that. But something interesting here, when it comes to time of possession, do you look at the really close games for Washington in the season, ASU, the first round against Oregon? Oregon State, Wazoo, they were very, very lopsided in time of possession by a lot. And and, and if Michigan, long, methodical drives, that's my biggest worry for Washington is if if they do have those seven-minute drives, those eight-minute drives, going to put more pressure on Washington. You look at the Wazoo game, 32 minutes for Wazoo, 27 for Washington. Oregon State, a whole 15 minutes more of possession time for Oregon State. ASU, another 15 more minutes, 37 minutes and 29 seconds for ASU. In that first round of Oregon, they had 10 more they had more 10 more minutes of possession time. Michigan is 11th in the FBS, averaged 32 minutes and 26 seconds of possession. So I think for Washington, yes, you want to go quick. Yes, you want to get drives going. But for Michigan, on the other hand, run bully ball like you mentioned they might run the ball 60 times like to bully get Penix ball. off the field that's what Oregon did the first time to try to get Penix off the field and you were at that game too I think Penix maybe had what one or maybe two possessions in that whole fourth quarter like did not touch the ball at all that one quick possession he had the one throw to Roma Dunze on the outside but I think my biggest point right now for Michigan when it's saying the long grinding drives like they had at the end of that Bama game, the response they had to Bama too is my biggest key for Michigan. Um, your thoughts on that, and then what what do you think for a key for Michigan? Yeah, you know, we just said it. You know, if if Michigan runs the ball 40, 50 times and is successful, um, I think it could be a long night for Washington. Um, if I think you were talking like possessions, so averaging like nine or ten possessions a game as opposed to UW normally with like 13 or 14, 
So it kind of amplifies the, like, if UW doesn't score and then Michigan is able to sap another six minutes off the clock running the football and they score and then UW punts again and then Michigan saps another six to eight minutes off the clock and scores again, that's a whole quarter right there of three plays that maybe you ran on offense and Michigan had the ball for the whole time and scored 14 points. So -hmm. that's where it's kind of like, for Washington, you really like points are going to be at a premium. You have to score. And I think for Michigan, the physicality up front that they showed against Alabama is what they're going to like have to bring in order to beat Washington. The rushing the passer up front, um, I think Blake Quorum and Donovan Edwards need to have 40, 50 carries in this football game. Um, I don't think if JJ McCarthy throws it more than 30 times, I don't think Michigan wins this football game. Mm. Interesting. I, I think regardless of what the score is, you know, some teams trying to change. I think Michigan stays the same. They did the same against Alabama. If they are down seven or are down 10, stay to the running game. Um, on the defensive side of things, you mentioned Mike Sainer still. I'm wondering where his role is going to be because he's either going to have situations against Jalen McMillan. He might have to be a QB spy to add more pressure. You know, they've had um, – what, what's his name? They've had more Derek Moore or, or Braden McGregor on the outside kind of rush mm-hmm. those tackles, and he kind of slips underneath and kind of gets a sack or applies pressure to Penix. He did – Penix did avoid some sacks against Texas, but a bigger, not as athletic, stronger defensive line from Texas – it's a more athletic as a whole defensive line being for Michigan. But I think the key to this, this defense is going to be the safeties. I think that they, they fly around me seeing them in person. I think it's the quickest, fastest safety group that they've but the deepest safety group that they've had. And they've had a bunch of safeties go through the program, but keep everything in front. If they can eliminate the vertical passing game or try to like they did with Alabama and kind of force Penix to have those underneath throwing routes that plays in the advantage of them because they really tackle well in space. Um, that's something I look for for the safeties. Mike Sainer, so though, to your point earlier, it's going to be interesting what kind of role they have for him um, on that defense. He's going to probably have to play the entire game. Yeah, I think, Mike, you like when you're that dynamic as a player where you can rush the passer, you can play coverage, you can fill insert in the run game uh, and be an over-the-top type of safety, I think, not and play man coverage, I think you just can't come off the field. It's mm. one of those things, like, you're not what are you resting for? There's no games after this. This is it. You gotta empty the tank, man. Like you're just gonna need to go and go and go. And then when it's time to like when the quarter ends, you can get some water. And then when it's halftime, you can get a little bit of water. And then when the third quarter ends, you can get some water and then we'll be chilling. <laughs> yeah, and we talked about it before too. Like me being at the Ohio State game, I, I see their defense playing similar to Ohio State. And they're not gonna get as much pressure. Late, though, they had pressure against Ohio State. They had that sack against Kyle McCourney through the pick, but I, I kind of see him playing that 3-3-5, maybe bringing St. still down as the nickel and maybe playing more zone. And then when it's man coverage, one of my key players, Will Johnson against Roma Dunze, is going to be a crazy matchup. Will Johnson last week, two targets, zero catches. I get Jermaine Burton is not the type of Roma Dunze, but this guy is going to be a top 10, top 5 pick next year as a cornerback. Will Johnson, 6'2", 204, lengthy tall kind of reminds you of charles woodson on the outside it's gonna be a fun matchup i'm really looking forward to they're probably gonna play zone the entire game but when it comes to that man coverage one-on-one on the outside will johnson for from dunze i think if you're will johnson you got to play the football and you got to win those one-on-one matchups to get him out of there let mcmillan and polk win you the football game but if roma dunze starts to beat you on the outside 
could be a long day again for Michigan. That could be a weakness for him if Will Johnson does struggle. Yeah, I think Will Johnson, I think really the, it, like, I know we said we weren't going to do this, but kind of have to. It's, to me, it comes down to the secondary of Michigan against the receiver group of Washington and then yeah. the offensive line of Michigan against the front seven of Washington. That's really what it comes down to. Those those four units can whoever wins those matchups, I think, is going to determine the football game. And then it's going to be fun to watch Washington's offensive line versus Michigan's defensive line. I mean, five sacks in the first half. Um, talk, to talk about like the different pressures that you saw from Michigan and how difficult it might be as a quarterback. Now, now Michael Penix, six years playing, he might be able to identify blitzes better than one Jalen Moro in his first year playing college football, but. What about Michigan's defense? And I'm assuming they're probably going to do the same thing, disguising coverages and late blitzes and, and, you know, very, very coordinated, a lot of chemistry on the front, on the front seven, specifically, specifically the defensive line when it came to their stunts, like guys taking blows, double teams for his buddy to go around and get a sack. Like talk about what you saw from that pass rush and then what can they do against a Joe Moore award winning offensive line? Because, again, when you look at the offensive line this season, I think the most sacks they've allowed is two, only two in one game. And I think that was, like, USC. Yeah. Like, what I saw from Michigan was similar to what you talked about. The stunts were perfectly timed. But one thing that they did a really good job of was they collapsed the pocket as opposed to, you know, rushing the edge and allowing Jalen Milrow to step up and make a play, not only in the run game but also in the passing game their tackles were able to get upfield and like close down those run lanes to where now I'm throwing from a condensed pocket as opposed to a nice relaxed pocket. As a quarterback, whenever there's bodies around you and you're not able to fully step into your throw and get full extension on your throw, that's when your inaccuracies start to come. So I think they did a really good job of collapsing the pocket on Jalen Milrow as opposed to, you know, like ends rush around and now he can step up and have running lanes. They did a really good job. Like I said, those D tackles getting in those A and B gaps, really pressuring him from the inside out. And then those edge rushers getting off the edge as well. So um, I think they also did a good job of timing their blitzes. Um, and they just, they, the, the level of speed and ferocity. I think I texted you and I said, the ferocity that Michigan is playing with is really, really special right now. The way that they're playing with the speed, and they almost look like they're playing angry against that Alabama offensive line. And so um, if they bring that level of intensity in this national championship game, I, it could be a long night for Washington. Defense is very deep. Um, any more points for you here? I mean, I only, the only other point I have, special teams got to be better. It's funny, you look at who's a, who's a special teams coordinator? Oh, that'd be Jay Harbaugh. So I think it's cousin or somewhat related to Jim Harbaugh. Of course, of course it is. Like like yeah. where Iowa was with their offensive coordinator, the Fair. son of the head coach, Jay Harbaugh in some relation to him. But any other points for you? If not, we'll go on to our, some of our key players here from Michigan. No, I think you said it. I think special for both teams. Funny enough, both teams fumbled the ball um, on special teams and both teams when they did fumble the ball on special teams and it ended up with a touchdown for the other team. I think both of those teams could have kind of ran away and hid from Alabama and also uh, from Texas if they hadn't turned the ball over in special teams. Um, I want to say Michigan did it twice and then mm. Washington fumbled one punt. Um, so, you know, just things that you kind of take for granted, which is like catching a fair catch and it's just somehow they messed, messed it up. So 
Um, I think if whoever whoever wins in this, like if all things are equal, whoever wins in the special teams, you know, if someone can block a kick or block a punt, I know I bring it up every week, but the numbers are there. The statistics are there. If you block a punt, you have a 93% chance of winning the football game. You like, mm-hmm. I want to say if you block a field goal or an extra point, you have a 96% chance of winning a football game. So special teams can definitely be one of those things where, um, you can steal a possession, you can steal a score, steal some field position, um, and really kind of put yourself in the driver's seat to win a national championship. Key players for me, I think it's got to be Colson Loveland. He was great in the, the blocking game against Alabama. Two catches, 13 yards last week. I kind of see him, like I said, that Ohio State game. Five catches, 88 yards against Ohio State. Look for him to have a big day, play action, maybe on fourth down, him to be a reliable target um, on those fourth downs too. But another guy that could have a big game, and we talk about Roman Wilson, but a guy that's really vertical, a vertical threat would be Cornelius Johnson. This is a dude that went off against Ohio State, kind of a down year this year. Roman Wilson's kind of taking that wide receiver one. But those are two guys that I kind of think would have a breakout game. My bold prediction, I'm going to say two touchdowns, Cornelius Johnson is my bold prediction for this game. I said Blake Corum was going to have the game-winning touchdown like Sony Michelle last week, and he did in the Rose Bowl. And I said, said it was an overtime too, Cody. I don't I mean I don't mean to brag, but I did say it was an overtime. Blake Corum walk-off touchdown. Look for Cornelius Johnson to have two touchdowns. You look at that mesh traffic route. I know Blake Corum got the throw, but Cornelius Johnson was right behind him on his hip. He was wide open too. Look for Cornelius Johnson, big game, two touchdowns. Okay, I like it. Hey, be thank bold. you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Hey, you might as well go if you. Hey, go all in. If you going, you go. Might as well go all in. You're a Michigan push the fan. Chips in, I, all in. Yeah, push them all in. I'm gonna go. Luther Muhammad, if he's playing, mm. I think that I think if Washington's front seven does what they're supposed to do and actually forces JJ McCarthy to throw the football. I'm going to go on the other side and say if Luther Muhammad can have a game like he did against Oregon State where he had like two picks, I think, and like five passes defended, if he's going to have a game like that and they can force a turnover or two out of J.J. McCarthy, I think that uh, Washington will be in a good position to possibly steal the national championship. Prediction time. Michigan looking for their first title since 1997. Washington, 1991. Um, Before we get to your prediction, if you're Washington, you win the coin toss. Are you deferring or are you taking the ball, Mr. Cody Oaks? Defer. I defer. You know why? Because, again, I feel like my defense can play with some urgency at the beginning of the game. And if we can, again, like I was saying, if you can force a three and out and maybe go down and score and force Michigan to play from behind. Because when Michigan plays from from ahead, they're just – Joel Klatt kind of refers to them as like a boa constrictor. Mm. When they get you down, they just start running the football, and it just feels like that level of inevitability where it's just like they're about to run the ball every play, and there's nothing we can do about it. Blake Quorum left. Blake Quorum right. Alex Orgy comes in. Then he runs it a little bit. Oh, now we're going to have Donovan (laughs) Edwards come and run it. Oh, here comes Blake Quorum again. Oh, now we're oh, running. Here power. comes now here comes Mullings. Mullings come here, in. Oh yeah, Alex yeah. Orgy again. Yeah. Oh, now we're running power. Oh, now we're running sweep. Now we're running a jet sweep. Now we're running lead. Now we're running ice. It's just like just banging your head against a wall over and over and over again. And Michigan is just they've become everything that Stanford was when Andrew Luck was there with how they were able to run the football and just be physical up front and just dominate you. Michigan is that. 
but with mm. better players, which is scary. My prediction, again, this is kind of a crazy game. We both watched them. They're both kind of our secondary teams. Your, your secondary team's watching. My secondary is starting to become Michigan, obviously being at the game, you know, a little bias there. But for me, Cody, for those wondering about our picks, by the way, I'm up three. We got two games left, up three. Very tight window here when it's all said and done. We've picked 150 games this season. That's just wild wow. to think about. 150 games, both very good records. Cody's 95 and 55 with 11 bonus points. I'm 101 and 49 with eight bonus points. But for me, Cody, I'm going Michigan. We said it from the beginning of the season. We both said Michigan to win it. You had Washington in your playoff too. I did not. I did not think Washington could get through the Pac-12. But I look at the tail of the tape, and I look at quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end, everything. You got Washington, the quarterback. Michigan, running back. Washington, advantage, wide receiver. Michigan, I think, advantage for the tight end. Offensive line, Washington, but barely. Defensive line, linebackers, DBs, everything defense Michigan's got. Special teams, I give it to Washington, but at the end of the day, the kicker, coaching, I, I favor Michigan in this one. Six out of 10 on the tail of the tape, Michigan. Give me Michigan. I got them winning 30 to 27. Like I said, Cornelius Johnson, two touchdowns, game winner. Michigan wins their first title since 97. And they got to keep that trophy in a big safe. NCAA, you're not taking it away. You're not taking it away. Oh Vacate the win, God. so what? But don't don't take away the natty. Wow, I this game it's tough, dude. It's the difficult part for me is that Washington. Every game that they were an underdog, they found a way to win. Oregon was so much better. Oregon's the second best team in the country. Oregon's gonna beat them by ten points. Washington dominated that game. Oregon State is going to spring the upset on the road in a driving rainstorm. The rain is going to make it to where they can't throw the ball. Washington wins the game. Oh, Texas's front seven is so much better than Washington. They're going to stop the run. Oh, These Texas's so pass defense is way so better. Blah, blah. Washington dominated the game. Uh, it this is this is difficult because I look at Michigan and I know that they're better. Michigan is a better football team than Washington. No disrespect to the Huskies. Michigan is just simply better. They're more physical, arguably more athletic. I think the coaches are a wash. I think when you look at like team, like. Michigan's team has been built to beat teams like Washington. Washington has not built their team to beat teams like Michigan. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and for those who don't understand the reference, Michigan's team was essentially built to beat Ohio State because Ohio State has multiple first-round draft picks at receiver. So you need to have a pass rush to create um, – a non-structured pocket and you have to have the dbs behind to be able to play man coverage i say all that to say in order to win i need to get i need to get the pick correct and the score 31 <laughs> 28 washington wow. and i'm not confident in that pick 
<laughs> it's a good pick, man. I, I think the four and a half there for Washington, if I was a betting man, I would bet on the four and a half Washington. I just think it's going to be a three-point game either way. Um, I like yeah. to pick there. Great game. That's on Monday. But, Cody, you've got a national championship game on Sunday. The alma yeah, mater. Two Montana against one South Dakota State. Montana 13-1, and one, the Big Sky champs versus the Mountain excuse me, the Missouri Valley Conference champs being South Dakota State. And those who are not familiar with the FCS, your Big Sky is like your Big Ten, and your Missouri Valley is like your SEC. South Dakota State is like your Georgia, the up-and-coming monster, 28-game winning streak. The last time they lost, September 3rd, 2022 at Iowa. Look at the score of this game, 7-3. If that doesn't scream Iowa, I don't know what does. Um, they're the defending national champions, Montana seeking their first title since 2001. They've got two titles already. And, uh, this is the first time they've been in the national championship conversation. They're kind of known as one of the, you know, the, the, the programs, the prominent dynasties, I guess you would say of the FCS. I would honestly compare them to Michigan because Michigan kind of like, don't look at them as like the winningest program in FBS history. Don't look at them as Montana that way, but Montana is the type that are always in the conversation and then something like happens. Like they're always, always in a fight. You always can't, when you mention the national championship or you mention the FCS football, you always got to mention the Montana Grizzlies because they're in it and everyone wants to play Montana. Everyone wants to beat Montana. Just kind of how everyone wants to beat Michigan. Everyone wants to see Michigan down Michigan versus everybody. It's Montana versus everybody. They had a terrible loss early in the season in NAU for them to flip it around like this is unbelievable. Um, So many storylines. You look at two historic brands, um, but again, it, it, it's cool. Not only alma mater, duh, like you look at all the Montana stuff in the background, but to possibly be one of the building blocks and maybe even be a voice in their success. So, you know, even though my role wasn't as big as I wanted it to be, I think it's something special. And to have a bunch of guys, especially that senior class, six year seniors. And we were talking before how I remember in 2018, we had a meeting with our strength coach said, Oh yeah, this is gonna be the fastest four years of your life. You know, not everyone in this room is going to be there from when it's done. Then COVID happens and then red shirt years happen, gray shirts, so on and so forth. They've been there for six years, the longest six years ever. So again, finally their last, their last year. Um, but I want to throw it to you, Cody. I'm gonna dive into Montana, dive into South Dakota state, but what sticks out to you when you look at this one again, two historic brands, um, South Dakota state, heavy favorite right now, 13 and a half point favorite. It's going to be played at Toyota Stadium in Frisco, Texas. Seats 21,000. It's a great venue they have every year. But um, what sticks out to you when you look at this one, either South Dakota State or Montana? I think that one one of the things that sticks out to me the most is how old both of these two teams are, similar to what you were just talking about. Six-year seniors on both sides. Isaiah Davis, been at South Dakota State, what seems like for forever. Mark Gronowski, um, by the way, Isaiah Davis, running back from South Dakota State. Uh, Mark Gronowski, oh, absolute baller. Um, all American, by the way, Mark. Dude, Gronowski. I remember him. Sorry to interrupt. I remember him as a freshman, dude. He played in the 2021 national championship. They lost to Sam Sam Houston State as a freshman. 182 yards, three touchdowns. Last year at 102 yards, one touchdown. It's his third national championship, and he's finally a senior. Sorry to interrupt, but this guy is phenomenal. He's a good running back. 1500 yards this year. Baller, baller. First team All American. There, Mark Gronowski, quarterback. Um, one of the three finalists for the Walter Payton Award, which for those who don't really follow FCS football, that's kind of the Heisman Trophy of FCS. Um, Mark Gronowski kind of being talked about as maybe undrafted free agent, late round pick for the NFL. Um, if you look at 
South Dakota State, their offensive line is just a bunch of maulers. I think they had two, maybe even three offensive linemen that were first-team All-Americans as well on the defensive side of the ball. Obviously, they fly around. Um, I saw a stat that said that only two teams, Montana State, and then I think um, South Dakota. I'll have to double-check that. But only two teams kept it within one score. Um, and not to mention, uh, they beat Albany in the semifinals 59 to nothing. So this Sandy, South Dakota State is an absolute juggernaut um, out there from the Plains. Um, Montana is going to have a very, very balanced breakfast to play against mm. there um, in those South Dakota State Jackrabbits. And it's kind of unique, too. I mean, two years later, after Montana beats Washington at Washington, a ranked Washington team, both Washington and Montana are playing in the national championship the same weekend two years later. Kind of crazy to see how that turns around. Washington fans are welcome. Montana, Kalen DeBoer, <laughs> Michael Penix, you're welcome for all of that. But first, I'll start with South Dakota State. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, it's just, of course, that happened. Of course. Of course Isn't that crazy, though? I mean, we beat them two so years ago. Wild. That's wild. Dude, one of the craziest memories, bro. I have a shout out. I don't shout out Sam Heward. I think I might have the football in the background there. So yeah, shout out, shout out Sam Heward. He's now at Cal Poly. And, and I saw that he's, he was ranked. He was ranked above like Carson Beck, Caleb Williams, Sam Heward. Some recruiting services was the number one player in the country. Wild. That's a discussion no for comment. another day. Yeah, no, no comment. comment. Um, let's start at South Dakota State. My biggest key to South Dakota State. Don't kick the ball to Junior Bergen. Do, Do not, not kick the ball. I remember you texting me. You watched the Montana game. Like Again, I've watched every Montana game. It's my alma mater. You watched some, and you're like, dude, this Junior Bergen guy is f- phenomenal. Three total return touchdowns in the last two games. One kickoff return, two punt returns. Don't Bro. kick it to him. And, and I know <laughs> South Dakota State's like, oh, you know, we're the, we're the big dogs. Like, we can tackle this little guy. We got this little guy. Over 1,600 yards, all-purpose yards. This guy's phenomenal. Do not kick it to Mr. Junior Bergen. First and foremost. Second, I think they got to stuff the run early. Montana, the past two games, has struggled with the run. Jerry Rice Award winner, Eli Gilman, freshman of the year. Last two games, 30, sorry, last three games in the playoffs, 35 carries, only 93 yards, two touchdowns in three games. They got to be able to get him early on the other side for Montana. If you're a South Dakota State, you stuff him early. It caused panic. And and, and to my next point, I think you got to, you know, apply interior pressure pass rush to Clifton McDowell, the quarterback from Montana. He's a junior. He's a Texas boy going back to Texas. The only thing about Clifton McDowell that is tough, he's 52.8% passing, not very accurate with the football. Most of that is when interior pressure comes his way, he tends to just back up and kind of throw with his feet sideways like this. That's not really good as a quarterback. If they can apply interior pass rush, and he always tries to avoid stuff going left, going right, and ends up being a 15-yard loss. So, if you're South Dakota State, they pride themselves on their defensive line. Interior pass rush is something to look out for. And lastly, Cody, I said it against North Dakota State, and it's the biggest worry I have of this defense. If you're South Dakota State and there's zero blitz, look for those one-on-one matchups against those safeties. Besides oh. Nash Fouch, who who's one of my boys, they're going to have to find a way to cover the 6'7", 260-pound tight end from South Dakota State. Last week, or last time they played against Albany, four catches, 50 yards, two touchdowns, especially in the red zone. I think he's got to be a guy, Nash Fouch, who's more athletic. He's 6'2", 206, 
207. Um, he's played in every game since 2019. Deep safety. He's probably their best cover safety. He's got to be a guy on him. But if you got other guys, like, I mean, I'm not going to mention names, but the other safety groups on those one-on-one situations, especially with the wide receivers, South Dakota State, you talk about Isaiah Davis has been there forever. The Janky brothers, the twin brothers have been there forever. Six, forever? seven, eight years. Like, they're the Hunter Renfros of FCS football. If they're in the yeah. slots, if you're, you're Kronkowski, and Montana likes to bring that zero blitz, bring that pressure, get the ball out early, and win those one-on-one matchups in the slot. That's what worries me about South Dakota State. Um, any other thing you got about South Dakota State that stands out to you um, when you look at this team? I mean, this team's really good. This team's really balanced. Yeah, I think I think it's just the biggest thing for me is can South Dakota State complete the dynasty, right? It's one like I think all the pressure's on them. They're supposed to win. They won their semifinal, fifty-nine to nothing. Um, this is kind of, I don't want to say David versus Goliath because very similar, like Montana is like you said, kind of like the Michigan of the FCS. Like they're always kind of in the conversation. Are they national championship caliber? Do they make it to the semifinals? Do they make it to the national championship? Uh, do mm. they maybe get tripped up during the regular season by an NAU or maybe a Montana state or an Eastern Washington? Um, but again, they play in such a tough conference that it kind of makes sense that they kind of get battle tested and they kind of make a run, um, either them or a Montana State or an Eastern kind of make a run um, through the through the uh, FCS playoffs um, seemingly every year. So um, I think really is Montana, you're going to have to play damn near a perfect football game. And if they're able to force a South Dakota State turnover, block a punt, uh, fake mm. a punt, um, you know what I mean? Do like trick plays, um, find a way to maybe get junior Bergen on the edge and then on a fly sweep and then throw it back to our boy, Keelan white, you know, like it is what it is. Like those are like Montana, you're playing with house money. You're not supposed to win. Um, I don't know what the line is, but I'm assuming it's probably double digits. No, disrespect. 13 and a half. Right. So, um, throw cost into the wind, man, Block, go after a punt, fake a punt, fake a field goal, throw some trick plays. Empty the bag, man. You guys, you're playing with house money. That's one thing about Brent Pease, the offensive coordinator, who's my receiver coach. It's one thing about Bobby Halk. They're not afraid to have those trick plays, especially in the special teams, like you mentioned. A lot of two-point conversion history where they do go for two in, in a different formation out of the field goal, or they'll, they'll fake a punt, like you mentioned, or they'll run trick plays. I think their last three games, they've had some kind of trick play. Um so look out for that if you're South Dakota State, but don't look out for that if you're South Dakota State because we want to kind of catch you off guard. But Montana <laughs> keys uh, Montana keys to the game. Uh, again, I- I'm going to live, breathe, and die by this. Montana has the best wide receiver core in the nation, and I think they're being disrespected. Mm. I think something, too, that they play advantage of was to do a great job over there in Montana. And these are guys that have played together, a lot of snaps together, is scramble drill. I think they could take advantage of it. I was watching some South Dakota State. I think they do a really bad job when it comes to scramble drill and locating wide receivers in certain zones or, you know, if it's man coverage, like kind of, you know, getting lost and either when, it, when, a, when a dual threat quarterback like Clifton McDowell's threat to run, maybe they forget where the wide receiver is, throw it over the top, but they call themselves the Waffle House because they're always open. Always open. Oh. Always open. Fire. I think they're the best in the FCS. And, and I think one of those guys, which again, this is my X factor. We know him. Junior wide receiver, Keelan White. This guy's been balling all playoffs to see where he was at. He was a walk-on out of Canada, earned a scholarship, and then made his way up to where he's at right now. But in the playoffs, people talk about Junior Bergen and deservingly so. But the hottest wide receiver and the go-to wide receiver, if it's third down, fourth down, crucial moment, you go to Keelan White. 
12 catches, 219 yards, two touchdowns in three playoff games. I think he's the hottest wide receiver. I think this is a guy that you got to get going early. He can take you off the top. He's a good route runner. He's got great hands, kind of that spidey senses, sticky hands that he's got. He kind of plays in that MO of Spider-Man. This is a guy I think they got to get going. Clifton McDowell, they've got him. They've got the speedy guy and Aaron Fonts, and they also got Junior Berg, and those are some guys – Best wide receiver core. And I've seen articles that have ranked the wide receivers. They got South Dakota State's wide receivers over these guys. I think it's disrespectful. Highest stage, ABC, show out. Keelan White's my X factor from that standpoint. On the other side of things, comments saying that Cam Miller from North Dakota State was the most efficient quarterback in the FCS. And then look what happened against Montana. 9 of 22, 157 yards, one touchdown. We said it in that episode, Montana, North Dakota State caused havoc the same the South Dakota State. Yes, you did say that. You did say that, Mr. Cody Oaks. I'm just saying. Anyway, continue. <laughs> continue. continue. But I, I think they've got to create, you know, just kind of like how Michigan did against Alabama, create chaos. Um, you know, South Dakota State's quarterback, like you mentioned, he's very accurate downfield. They can somehow kind of – I looked at the Villanova tape because that was probably their, their closest game. I think they only won by like 10, 11 points against a really bad Villanova, eight-seed Villanova team. Uh, Gronowski was 11 and 19, 57.9% and only 109 yards. So I think if you can make him frustrated with those blitzes, like we saw with Cam Miller missing wide open guys, cause he's getting pressure, not even the sack side of thing, but to cause pressure and collapse the pocket, I think plays advantage for Montana. Um, the second one, you're not gonna be able to stop Isaiah Davis. This guy's the best running back. Again, Montana is one of the best rushing defense, but this guy, they, they, they give him about 30, 40 carries a game. You can hold him under 110 yards. I think that's a big advantage. Um, another point, I got a ton of points here. Sorry for hogging the segment here, Cody. You're good. Uh, but it's your alma mater in the natty. <laughs> Second down offense that I mentioned against North Dakota State, and they didn't really do well on this still. I think it's going to be pivotal against South Dakota State. And I'll throw it to you, Cody. Eight of 15 third downs last week, just like it was against, I think, who they played the Furman before, were eight to 10 yards, long third downs. And I think third downs, long third downs, Clifton McDowell doesn't do best on him. I think he kind of panics. From that standpoint, but talk to me as a quarterback and a play caller. Like, what what is going through your mind when most of your third downs, I guess, are that eight to ten yard range? Especially with a quarterback like McDowell, maybe not the most accurate. You've got good wide receivers on the outside; they're expecting to throw. Like, what kind of play calls, I guess, when your running game struggling? Hopefully, it doesn't struggle against South Dakota State, but we've seen the past couple games it has struggled early. Like, take me through as an offensive minded guy. When, when, when you're getting those third downs, eight to 10, and how pivotal that second down is to kind of play for that third down. Yeah, you know, the third, the third down and eight or more, I think that's one of those things that, like, your playbook just gets shrink, shrunk. If we're actually trying to get it, as opposed to, like, play field position, hand the ball off to the running back and punt, like, if we're actually trying to get it, your playbook is kind of shrunk, right? There's not too many plays that are designed to get 10 yards, 12 yards. So, as a defense, that lets me know, okay, if I bring pressure and this ball gets out and he throws a five-yard slant and it's third and eight, as long as we rally and tackle, we'll be fine. And so I think, like, like similar to what you were talking about, you know, that second down is pivotal. Like, if you mm -hmm. can get it to second or third and four, third and three, the playbook kind of opens up. Can you run the ball? Can you maybe throw a little rollout? Can you throw a screen? Can you, like, there's just so many different things that you can do when it's third and four or less as opposed to third and, or third and seven, eight, nine, maybe even 10 yards. Um, so if they're able to keep that kind of down, keep that yardage on third down lower than I'd say five. Mm. If, if we're averaging third and four, 
third and three, third and two, um, I think Montana's going to be in an okay spot. Especially in the national championship game. Like, the nerves are going to be flowing. you got a freshman running back. You've got a first start of a quarterback. Like, no one on this roster has played at a national championship game. Be able to get those quick passes going, like you mentioned with Michael Penix. Be able to get Gilman going in the running game early. I think it's my other point. But another thing to look out for Montana, they got to be efficient in the third quarter. Every third quarter, they always lay a dud. And then you see a junior Bergen return for a touchdown. They've got to be able to be efficient in the third quarter. And then lastly, if they keep it within a one score in the fourth quarter, this Montana team performs well in the fourth quarter. They've got to keep it within one score. I think if you get it to two scores and they start to run away with it early and you kind of try to catch from behind and they, they go to that running game, like we talked about Michigan resulting in the running game, running the clock in, in the second half, it's going to be tough for that defense to stop them. Um, again, self-inflicted wounds. My last point here, the, my X factor on the defensive side of the ball, sophomore outside linebacker Riley Wilson. He's from Texas, coming back home. Eight and a half sacks this season, 48 tackles. He's got to be a guy to apply pressure on Gronowski and, and cause havoc. If they're pissed at themselves, you can cause self-inflicted penalties. Huge advantage for Montana. Maybe that third and 10 is third and 15. Maybe that third and five is third and 10. Maybe that's second and 15, second and 20. I don't know, whatever happens. But Montana, if you can make them frustrated and not look at them as like, oh, we're playing South Dakota State. Oh, we're in the FCS National Championship. We'll just treat them like every other opponent. I think they've got a good shot. I think them beating North Dakota State last week was definitely, you know, now they're like, okay, we can beat anybody. Oh, South Dakota State, yeah, well, whatever. Because if you look at them as a big brand, in my opinion, I think that's when you start to get, you know, you know, things not going the right way for you from Montana in that standpoint. God, I thought yeah, I, I think a lot. Um, <laughs> no, you're good. This, like I said, this is your alma mater in the natty. Like this is one of those like things that you know it's very rare that. I mean, I think, you know, like if you look at it, the last 10 to 15 years in the F FBS, it's very pretty much it's like Alabama, Clemson, and, you know, Ohio State for the most part. Those are the three schools mm. that kind of people can look at. And then every once in a while you add in and like one or two teams in there, like Clemson at the beginning, right? So now, like, the fact that your school that you just recently were at is in the national championship, I get that. Um at the end of the day, I think you're right. I think Junior Bergen, if he gets a chance to get the, his hands on the football um, in space, watch out, especially on a return of some sort. Because normally, I mean, if you think about it, a lot of special teams is not your starters. So that means that it's not your best tacklers. It's not your best blockers. It's not your best, like, cover guys. So that allows Junior Bergen, who is a starter on offense, to kind of work against a second tier of tacklers. And I think that one of the things that, he's so dynamic in the open spaces. He's able to avoid tackles and make people miss. And I think um, if he's able to do that and get his hands on a football and like a punt return or a kick return, um, I think that, I mean, if they, the more, the more chances he gets, the better chance it is that he's going to take something to the house. And so um, I think South Dakota state is best served kicking that ball out of bounds. Although South Dakota state kicking inbounds, man, we want to see that. <laughs> we want to see that yeah and i advise people who are watching this game just look at the stories that they bring up a bunch of these kids you mentioned keelan white i could go on and on for hours about every single player on this team most of these guys have got relationships with but great stories from montana they recruit more montana south dakota state they recruit more south dakota state so you're seeing two states of football that don't really get talked about much um at a national level beyond the abc so i think that's pretty cool there but um any other guys any other keys anything else you want to say about this matchup we'll get into our picks here cody 
Yeah, I mean, Montana, you cannot snooze in the third quarter, man. You cannot snooze. Mm. If it is a close game at halftime and you come out and you give up 14 points to the Jackrabbits, you will lose this football game. So um, all I know is is that Montana, if you guys, again, steal a possession, block a punt, force a fumble, maybe surprise onside kick after a score or something like that, just find ways to put game pressure on South Dakota State because they haven't really felt any. And I think that if you're able to get a team that is not used to game pressure in a close game late, which feels like all of Montana's games have come down to the last play of the game or overtime. Last two overtime, yeah. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just like every Montana game is just must-see TV. And I think that that bodes well when you get into a game like this where you're supposed to lose, but you're able to put game pressure on someone who has been rolling through the playoffs. I'll start out with predictions. Again, I got to go Montana, dude. There's no way I can go South Dakota State. Keep proving people wrong. The Cinderella story of the FCS season. I got Montana win. I got him winning 25-24. Um, how do I want to say this? I'm going to say I'm gonna say they get a touchdown late and they go for two. And don't get I'm it. I'm going to say, I'll say Keelan White gets the game-winning touchdown. Wow. Keelan White gets the game-winning they touchdown. They go for yeah. two. They go for two, and they were all they run like a draw or delayed run. Eli Gilman gets the run. Stadium goes crazy. Hopefully, Grizz Nation. I know Grizz Nation shows out, and I know Grizz Nation again. Arizona Wildcats and Montana Grizzlies. When it comes to our videos, they show out. I appreciate Grizz Nation always, but I got them winning, man. Twenty-five, twenty-one. Sorry, twenty-five, twenty-four. Montana. Twenty-five, twenty-four. Montana. Great pick. I'm not going to be Grizz mad, fans. bro. I'm not going to be fans. mad. Don't hate me, please. I know you guys watch us. Please don't unsubscribe from me. Don't disrespect me. I'm not disrespecting you guys by this pick. I just have to win the pickoff. I just have to win the pickoff. I'm going to go 30, 35, 24. I think it's going to be a 28, 24 game late. Damn. I think, I'm gonna kidding, be, I'm <laughs> I think it's going to be. I'm I think it's going to be twenty-eight, twenty-four, and then unfortunately, um, Montana's quarterback throws an interception that gets returned for a touchdown with like thirty seconds left, and San Diego or South Dakota State celebrates back-to-back national championships. Regardless, we're going to have a great weekend of football. Um, stay tuned. We're going to do mon- Sunday night. We're going to record Monday morning. We're going to have the FCS championship reaction. And then Tuesday morning, we're going to have the CFP FBS National Championship reaction. So we're going to have back-to-back reactions, back-to-back Monday and Tuesday. So stay tuned for those. But last thoughts, final thoughts, Cody. What a banger episode this was. We've got National Championship, man. It's a bummer that the season's coming to an end. But we've got a lot of off-season stuff to talk about, too, in that 12-team play. Also got to mention, too, in our second one, in our FBS National Championship CFP reaction, whatever you want to call it, we're going to come out with our way too early 12-team playoff. Mm, for next and year. I love for next that. Year. And we're going to have Cody's top five, top ten quarterbacks of the season. So stick tuned for that. But any last thoughts for you, sir? Man, obviously the penultimate weekend of college football. Can't wait. Two great football games. Four great stories of four great football teams. Can't wait to watch them both. And obviously send college football off into the offseason the right way one loss between four teams who will come out on top stay tuned for it the point after 
at the point after underscore on Instagram for all the updates and stuff about our episodes and exclusive content on there. But for Cody Oaks, I'm Jackson Groff. Appreciate you watching as always. We'll see you on Monday. Peace.